Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Meg McCabe. Meg is the CEO and founder of The Recovery Collective. The Recovery Collective is a global eating disorder recovery community connecting peers and professionals to support you in your recovery. Meg joins us today to discuss the ins and outs of recovery and how full recovery is totally possible. Hello Meg. Hello Han, how are you? I'm good thank you, how are you? I'm doing so well today. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's so lovely. I feel like we've been talking on message for ages. It's so nice to actually meet you and kind of put your face and personality to your name. Likewise, I I find that it's really amazing to connect with someone over Instagram and then suddenly the world's align and we can finally meet and chat in real life. So this is going to be awesome. Yeah. I think that's the fantastic thing about Instagram is that you get to kind of connect to people. You know, I probably would have never met you being in America if it wasn't mm-hmm. for, for social media. So I think whilst maybe it has a few flaws, it also has some fantastic perks of being able to connect people. Absolutely. I find that it's been extremely helpful for my ability to spread my message and to connect with people who have eating disorders and to build community. And when the pandemic hit, I actually felt like my world, even though my immediate world shut down, my, my like social life actually expanded globally because I just started connecting with people Mm. on the internet more. And so now some of my dearest friends are living in every corner of the earth you know it's pretty amazing yeah yeah it really is and I think it like you said like allows you to kind of connect with people that you wouldn't typically um which I guess that connects so nicely to what you do at the recovery collective in terms of you know your global community um for for people in recovery from eating disorders so I guess, did you want to start by sharing with everyone what the Recovery Collective is? Absolutely. Uh, I would love to. So the Recovery Collective is a, it's a membership community that's focused on eating disorder recovery. And it's a collection of beautiful humans from all over the world. We have um, members in as far as Madagascar, to be honest, wow. and then we'll have people in Germany, the UK, America, Australia, and um, this group comes together and we do, I would say, weekly live events and every week something different. So sometimes we'll cook together with a dietitian. I don't know if you know, I think Talia was on your show, but yes. Talia Sicelle mm-hmm. cooks, with, cooks with us every month. We do um, group coaching, we do yoga, we, um, what else are we doing? We have a peer support group now. So we actually have trained peer mentors who used to be members, but they are stronger in their recoveries. So they play a huge role. And it's just a fabulous resource I find because you get that connection and 
as we both know, isolation is a risk factor for getting an eating disorder in the first place. Mm-hmm. And often what you need to do to break free from your eating disorder behaviors is start reaching out for help and building community and healing that part of you that feels really isolated. So there's a hope and intention there that this community is a place people can go to, to feel more connected to others. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right in terms of that connection. I think it's so important and equally, you know, in recovery, I think eating disorders can be so difficult to understand. So actually having people that are going through something similar to you, I can imagine can feel really supportive when you're, you know, Mm. struggling to manage something, having someone else there that feels, Mm. you know, has experienced something similar would be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Yes. I I've seen that in the community on a major level. I think people, sometimes they'll join the community because they're like, maybe I have an eating disorder. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes people are very aware, Mm -hmm. but the second they kind of dip their toes into the water, they're like, oh, I feel very validated. This is definitely the place I clearly am struggling Mm because I can see that what I'm going through is very similar to those around me. Um, So it's a nice way for others to almost feel validated in a way, like, I don't know, sometimes think people think I'm not sick enough. And then when they're in the community and they, they sit and talk to people about their experiences that are similar or shared, they realize, you know, if this person is seeking treatment, that means I probably need treatment too. And it has that positive impact. And of course, when it comes to community in spaces like eating disorder recovery or anywhere where there's mental health, we do try to set very um, clear guidelines so that it doesn't become a dark space Mm -hmm. because I find sometimes eating disorder recovery spaces can turn into like a suffer fest, like who, Mm -hmm. who's sicker, who's more, who's suffering more. And so I've tried to just maintain a a hope-based mindset and a recovery based mindset so we're always focused on recovering together yeah Mm. I'm really Mm -hmm. glad that you said that actually because I was um in part of my mind uh, maybe the cynical part of my mind was thinking (laughs) you know whilst it's fantastic to come together with people that you know share similar experiences than you equally eating disorders do create that competitive mindset and that comparison and so I suppose maybe you kind of already answered it with saying that recovery is always in mind, but do you ever find that people sort of get a bit stuck in that, you know, they've, they've created this community and it's almost, can I actually go out into the real world now? Because I'm so comfortable in this community where Mm. people have eating disorders. Can I, can I leave that Mm. now? I don't have an eating disorder if somebody has recovered. Yeah. Very good question. So I think, what I've found based on what I've heard from members is that in our community, what's been pretty amazing is that you are, when you're talking about something you've struggled with for so long and you're, you have a shared experience with others, there is a level of 
relaxation and like your guard is kind of more mm-hmm. down than when you're in the real world. Cause, um, when you have an eating disorder, sometimes it's like, you can't really connect with others in the real world because you're mm-hmm. like, I'm hiding this thing from them. I'm ashamed of this thing. I don't want them to know about my behaviors. I, I just can't connect. I want to avoid social situations in this community where you're kind of like your inner demon is just out on the table and everyone is there and they all know that if you're there, you have an eating disorder. Mm. Uh, there's a sense that you can let that guard down and step more into your authentic self. Mm. And for those who have been able to thrive in their recoveries over the past year and a half, they've reported that the authenticity, authenticity they felt in the group helped them click into their true authenticity in the real world, but they had to practice it and feel it in the group first. And that's pretty amazing in my opinion. And Mm. I can't speak for all recovery groups and I'm sure I'm not speaking for everyone in our specific group, but it does make me smile to know that that's been the experience of Mm. several members for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I I guess that sort of leads on to maybe the process of recovery and and when somebody kind of engages he starts to engage in recovery because I think often you know if we if we think about eating disorder recovery I think our minds or you know my mind personally might skip straight to the food part but actually you know I think that is definitely an element um but I think like you've said like that authentic self and understanding who you are is actually incredibly important because that's sort of the bit that you need to know in order to break free um Mm. to be able to you know leave the eating disorder behind like this is who I actually am without the eating disorder Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's so true it's an eating disorder takes up so much of our brain and so much of our mindset and our actions day to day. It's something you become obsessed with that it's really hard to find your authentic self when you're consumed by the eating disorder. So I think you're completely right. In order to connect with your own authenticity, recovery is necessary, right? And then when you can start leaning into your true voice, sharing your opinions, feeling more comfortable in your skin, all of those things help you connect to who you truly are. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So if we're thinking about recovery, what do you think is sort of the first step that somebody has to take? (laughs) That's a really good question. So I think the first step of recovery would be to make sure you educate yourself on eating disorders, right? Um, That's probably something that's almost assumed, but I would say make sure you educate yourself on what you're going through. And then I would at least reach out to one loved one who you truly trust because you can't do this alone. So is that a best friend? Is that your mom? Is that a teacher, just like someone who you can trust, who you know has your best interest. This can't just be anybody. It has to be someone you know will, or at least you hope 
and have a good idea that they'll receive this well and that they'll be open to receiving this information. And then when you finally get to that point where you've communicated with them, make sure you don't beat around the bush. I know when I was going through my recovery, I tried to talk to my mom about it. And I was like, oh, I was very nervous. And I was like, I think I have a food problem. I'm struggling with food. And I didn't use the words eating disorder. And I feel like it would have been much easier if I just used the words eating disorder Mm. and clearly communicated exactly what I was struggling with. So there's an importance of being very clear when you reach out to someone that you trust and then offering them, this is like a million steps. I'll stop after (laughs) this one. But once you tell them that you are struggling with an eating disorder, put a name to it. You could also offer ways that they can help you Mm -hmm. because I think many people don't know what to do. And so you want to think, who is this person in my life and how might they best be able to help me? So for instance, um, my dad, he wouldn't have been the best person to talk about the emotional recovery stuff or the obsession with weight loss or body dissatisfaction, but he's like amazing at making phone calls, dealing with insurance, making appointments, driving me places. Like, So you have to think, who is this person and how can they help me? What are their strengths? Mm. And come up with something that they can help you with if they're willing to help. And usually people really do want to help. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting um, what you just said there, because it's it's funny, like the past couple of months, I have been struggling a little, little bit with my own mental health. And I went home to stay with my parents for a bit just to have a change of scenery. And um my mum works and my dad's retired so in the day it was just me and my dad and at the start I was a bit like oh I'm a bit like disappointed that I can't maybe share how I'm feeling emotionally but then I actually kind of reflected on the situation and I thought you know every day I'm kind of hanging out with my dad I'm having a lovely time I feel distracted he's he's making me laugh he's you know we're just chatting about random things and actually that was what I needed in that moment. Um, so I think, like you say, it is really important to think about, you know, the different aspects. It's not just, you don't just need somebody to kind of speak to or whatever. Sometimes you might need that little distraction or that little little giggle and people can give you different things. Um, and I guess it goes back to what we were saying at the start about that isolation or the community. I think one thing that, you know, is it's so important is connection and whether that's connecting with somebody and talking about what's going on or just getting out of the house and you know seeing a friend I I think is you know really really important Mm -hmm. I agree and I think one of the most important takeaways for recovery is truly being able to ask yourself what do I need in this moment what do I want in this moment So when you think about people you're connecting with and you've already thought about what their strengths are, ask yourself, what do I need in this moment? Do I need the person who's going to make me laugh? Do I need the person who has been through what I've been through? Do I need the person who is going to um, give me emotional support? And then answer that question and reach out to them. And, And that's really important to make sure that 
you, you utilize that like a strategy and a tool (laughs) in recovery connection is, I don't know why we, it sounds like such a corny thing, like connection, connection. I know we hear that word. It's so warm and fuzzy, but you, you want to use it like a tool and a strategy for recovery. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right in that often the things that maybe it's the things that work um, because of social media have become a bit like fluffy and, you know, you hear them and you think, oh, that's never going to work. But actually I think often it is the simple things like picking up the phone or going out to see somebody. Um, And also I think one thing that you kind of touched on there that was really important is you being able to make that decision. Um, And you were saying, you said earlier as well about like, you know, when you can start to have your own opinions about things and you make your own choices. And I think, you know, from my personal experience, that is something that was completely taken away um, and something that in therapy I've been really working on and not seeking assurance. And I actually think that being able to say today, this is what I need for me and not having to have other people say oh this might be what you need or yeah that's an okay choice to make I think that's another thing which you know isn't something food related I mean I guess it could be because it could be yeah it's I'm gonna have this sandwich because this is the one that I want but actually being able to make those decisions I think is another Mm. aspect that is so important Mm -hmm. I love that you said that because that can be applied in recovery and it can be applied in life Mm. like you said being able to stand clearly in what you want and not necessarily needing to consult with others or validate yourself through what other people are saying or check in or do what other people tell you to do. Like when you make a big life decision, it's important that you have some stillness and check within yourself first. I'm kind of at the point of in my life where when I have to make a big decision, I will turn inward and pretty much have that decision made before I could, or I don't want to ever do anything that I feel like wasn't coming from my authentic inner self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. I think like I completely agree with you in terms of the big decisions, but I think the small decisions are like equally as important um, yes. and, and making them yourself. Like I know it maybe sounded a bit silly. I said it, but you know, choosing a sandwich that, I think in in recovery can be something that is so difficult um, to know, you know, am I making the right decision? Is this what I want? Is this going to taste nice? I think so much is sort of pinned on that one mm-hmm. event um, mm-hmm. that being able to make that decision and being able to, I guess, enjoy it, not enjoy it. Like both are equally important. I think, you know, one thing that I've noticed in recovery is actually as well, tying into the opinions is being able to eat a food and not enjoy it and actually say I don't like this because I don't like the taste not I don't like this because this is scary Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes oh my gosh so first of all that decision to make a sandwich that's a that's a big, not to make one, but to choose your sandwich that you actually want. That's a big deal because when you go into recovery or you've had an eating disorder for so long, you've stopped looking at calorie counts, looking externally at everything. You're looking around at what other people are eating. 
all of your decisions when you have an eating disorder are informed by external things like what diet culture is telling you to do. But then in recovery, the most beautiful fun part is when you start to listen to what you really want and ask yourself, what's going to leave me satisfied? What's going to quiet that obsessed voice? You know, what's going to make me feel like I'm going to leave this restaurant feeling like I had the, like just this really satisfying, pleasurable experience. So that is, I just want to say it's a major shift when someone can start practicing that in their life. Um, and then you also were saying, what did you say? Like the, um, the negative part or the flip side, I think you were. So kind of like in being able to, you know, make, make the decision of what sandwich you're going to have and not enjoy it but actually not enjoy it because you don't like the taste and actually be able to sit with that and not get annoyed at yourself Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's really empowering too and there's this collective mm, hang up I usually see where when food and when you give yourself limited permission to eat you have these high expectations of what that food experience is supposed to be like, Mm. like, oh, it's supposed to be perfect. It's supposed to be exciting, inspiring. It's a flavor explosion. This is, this was worth waiting for, for like way past my hunger, you know? And then when you get there and it's not that good, there's this like sadness. It's an emotional roller coaster, which by the way, it's not supposed to be that emotional. (laughs) Like that is a sign that you probably have a disordered relationship with food. But then when you can recognize and remind yourself, you know, not every food experience is going to be perfect. Not every meal is going to taste that great. And, you know, I, I didn't like this food and that's okay. You know, the more you allow yourself to eat, the less upsetting it is when you when you have a sandwich that you didn't like. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one thing that I've definitely recognized is that kind of, like you said, this idea that the food has to be perfect and it's going to be this incredible thing and you sit down and it's nice, but it's not actually the food that is incredible. It's the people that you're with or the experience or the celebration or the occasion. And that's what should be the focus. And I think for so long, for me, it was, oh, I can't wait to have X, Y, and Z, but actually it should have been, I can't wait to see this particular person Mm. or whatever. And I think Mm. that's, you know, what recovery gives you is that ability to enjoy the moment and not think about the food. Mm -hmm. So true. There's so many amazing parts about food that do not have anything to do with food. Food is a totally pleasurable experience because it's connecting (laughs) like we were just saying like eating with someone builds memories it builds friendships it's um something that is bigger than the food itself Mm. right and then being in the present is what connects us to joy so if you're sitting at that restaurant and you're eating a mediocre plate of food who really cares because it's probably still decently fine, whatever. But at the end of the day, you're surrounded by people you love. Maybe you're having a totally new experience at this place. The music, the ambiance, 
the smells. It's a very, um, it can be a very embodied experience. Yeah, definitely. And I guess when somebody's going through recovery, because, you know, it's lovely to think about what the future can hold, but how would you support somebody in sort of establishing you know, a path that means that they'll end up to be able to be in the moment with food and to make their own decision? Oof, that's so challenging. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's so many paths to reaching that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the first way, like really, is being able to feed yourself regularly. Mm-hmm. So if you're going through periods of long restriction, And then maybe you binge later, or maybe it's just a very, I don't know, restrictive disorder. I find that's immediately what takes away your ability to be present with food. Obviously, then you have to eat adequately and enough. And there's all, you know, then you want to start adding variety. But the basic start is eating regularly can be the first step to reaching that place of being present with food, because then you are teaching your brain that food is not this scarce thing. You're not actually in a famine. Mm. So when you can teach your brain, so you are teach it like eating regularly and enough basically tells your brain you can relax. You are not in a famine. I will take care of you. You do not have to obsess over food anymore. And that's super important. So that's why you can suddenly not feel this emotional roller coaster around food because food's always there. It's just like when you're dating someone long distance and it's like, woohoo, like emotional and like exciting. Whenever you see them, it's magical. But then when you move in with them, you just see them every day and it's just like kind of like, Okay. That's like my day to day now. Like I still love them, but like, it's not this flashy, like head over heels experience every day. It doesn't mean they're not oh, still an amazing person. You want food to be that neutral. Yeah. <laughs> and when it's that neutral, you can start to be more present with food and the obsession goes down. So that's really step one is eating regularly mm-hmm. and enough. And that's something you can consult a dietitian with, if you like need a meal plan and, um, want to start practicing that. Cause I know it's really scary to do that for sure. Yeah, definitely. I I loved your, your explanation there. And, but I think you're, you're so right. And that's always been my kind of focus throughout, you know, whenever I've spoken to somebody about recovery is taking food off a pedestal and just, you know, everything is equal you know some things you might have more of some things you might have less of but you know if you want to have something don't put it on a pedestal of this is going to be incredible this is going to be the best thing in the world because you know the fact is it's probably not um Mm -hmm. but you know equally being able to enjoy it and being able to focus like we've just said on the people around rather than necessarily Mm -hmm. the food um Mm -hmm something that I'm always really interested in um, to kind of know people's opinion of is food challenges. Um, So is that something that you do at the Recovery Collective as the community? Mm -hmm. Yes, we absolutely absolutely do different challenges um, 
like I said, we will do nourish and learn sessions where we cook together. So often that's kind of a challenge within a challenge because we're cooking and eating together. Mm-hmm. Um, but then seasonally we'll do certain challenges related to different holidays. Like we recently had international pancake day. So we'll do that together. Um, over the holidays, we did a 12 days of holiday food challenge where for the 12 days leading up to Christmas, they were all just food that connects us to holiday memories. So gingerbread, um, I don't know what else is like, like Christmas cookies, obviously there's a lot of sweet stuff, hot chocolate, and we'll do that together. Um, and we'll usually open that up to other, um, non-community members too. But I think it's really important to challenge fear foods regularly in recovery. You do not want to have a sense of fear around food, you know, and the only way you can do that is to neutralize it and face those fears consistently. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think my, I guess my reservation, if that's what you're going to call it. Um, and I, I would be interested to hear how you would support someone with this as well is for me, and this is just my personal opinion, I don't know whether people will have felt the same, but I have done fear food challenges in the past and kind of written down a list of foods that I wanted to try and to challenge and stuff like that. And that was okay. And that felt okay when I was in weight restoration um but when I got to a quote-unquote healthy weight those foods scared me even more because they were the foods that I ate during recovery Mm. so I guess Mm -hmm. that would be my question and how would you navigate that situation Mm. so there's this belief or connection that these are the foods that made me gain the weight Mm -hmm. and now that I'm weight restored I'm afraid you know, that's, that's one of the many examples of how layered and complicated recovery can be Yeah, because somewhere along the line, your brain formed that neural pathway that these fear foods equal weight gain. So once I'm weight restored, I cannot eat these foods. And now I'm even more scared of them. And unfortunately that that's something that continues more persistence you know, just because your weight restored doesn't mean you're fully recovered. You have to remember that it's also a mental illness, probably primarily a mental illness. And you have to continue tackling those fears and accept that you might not be at the range that your body naturally wants to be in. So often the treatment teams predict you know, no one really knows exactly the right weight range your body wants to be in, but they'll predict the weight range. The, uh, the average person with an eating disorder tries to reach that bare minimum weight range. And then they're, then they think they're off the hook. But if you're still having those mental um, obsessions and fears, you got to keep challenging and trust that your body size is going to land exactly where it wants to be. And that's the terrifying part, but also the beautiful part, because once you reach your set point, which is the range within like, it's a weight range that your body naturally wants to be in based on genetics mostly and ancestry. Um, 
once you get there, you'll find food freedom is a lot easier because your body works really hard to keep you in that place. Mm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And I think that the sort of weight restoration is, I don't want to say the most difficult, but for, you know, again, I'm just talking personally, but I think it's a challenging thing to go through. Um, Especially, you know, when, I always see it as, and this is maybe a bit of a, a difficult way to to vocalize it, but it's almost, you know, I embarked on this thing, not that it's a choice. Um, and then now I'm having to go back to where I started. Um, and, and sometimes you don't go back to the weight where you started. Sometimes you go back to a different weight. So I guess my question would be, do you have any tips for people if they are in weight restoration? And I guess if they, you know, like you said, a lot of the time people will get to that suggested minimum and think, oh, I'm off the hook now. But if that's not your kind of the weight where your body feels comfortable, it might continue to go up. Sometimes it can get, continue to go up and then will come back down after a bit. Like there's, I guess there's no knowing exactly what your body's going to do, but do you have any tips for people if they're navigating that weight restoration? Yeah. Oof, man. Weight restoration is so hard. Like I want to say what you said, like that is probably the hardest part for so many people in recovery, not just eating the food, but the accepting and facing the fear of weight gain is really probably the hardest part because a lot of times we want to eat the food, but we're afraid to because of the weight gain. Right. Um, so gosh, uh, the, one of the tips that I have is that you have to start not just looking at recovery content and body acceptance content, but check out the fat liberation content, check out the fat acceptance movement, um, and body liberation, because when you can take a step back and look at the big picture of what your eating disorder represents for me, that was really empowering. So recognizing that if I'm dieting and I'm trying to be small and I'm trying to lose weight, I'm actually perpetuating the oppression of larger bodied people. I'm also perpetuating the oppression of women and supporting diet culture. So I, this seems like a really like harsh reality, but this helps me because I'm, uh, and I'm speaking from my experience, very um, compassionate. I know people listening are very like compassionate, considerate people. So if you want to think bigger picture and recognize that every time you try to lose weight, it's perpetuating that oppressive system that holds many individuals back. When you start to gain weight, you start to break yourself away from that oppressive system. And when you can stand fully in who, you know, what your body really wants to be, you have been liberated and you are actually that powerful act liberates other people. Mm. It's like very big picture. I hope that no, it too- is. No, I think, <laughs> I guess it's a difficult thing to kind of intervene because I, I, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, by engaging in the restrictive behaviors and, and the dieting that is driving that oppression, but equally, I think it's, it's really difficult because it's not a choice 
you know yeah. uh, and I think yes sometimes I heard somebody um, say the other day, oh, you know, how could you engage in bulimic behaviours when there's kind of, you know, children starving in other countries? And I think, well, you know, 100%, I want to be able, or, you know, anybody that engaged in recovery, I want to support the anti-diet movement and health at every size and, and things like that. I think it can be a difficult one because it almost puts the the blame and the onus on the individual mm. struggling and mm. I, you know, obviously it's what, it's what works for everybody, but I wouldn't want somebody to think, oh, I'm the cause of that oppression because of my eating disorder. Yeah, so true. And I'm really glad you brought that up. And I don't say that to put any blame on everyone. Yes. Your, your eating disorder is not a choice, but recovery is (laughs) recovery is a daily choice. Mm. So if you have an awareness around making a choice. I say the big picture piece so that when you're in the decision to make a choice, there is a hope that you choose that recovery based thing, Mm -hmm. knowing about knowing that that aligns with your values. Yeah. So that's kind of where I was getting at, but I totally see how it can be a, um, it can be viewed in that way. Yeah. You don't want to feel like it's, it's or you're the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I I just kind of wanted to mention that because one, I'm apparently getting more confident on these podcasts now. So Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm apparently a little less scared to to say something, which is great because I think it, it, it opens up the conversation. Um, but also I think what you were saying about that bigger picture is, so incredibly important you know I think often in eating disorders it's very detail focused very specific um you know especially in eating disorders like anorexia whereas it does need to be that bigger picture and actually you know day-to-day recovery okay what should I have for my breakfast should I have the option that I know is going to promote my recovery or should I have the restrictive choice right now the restrictive choice feels easier so I'm going to have that but actually being able to stop yourself in that moment and look at the bigger picture and think, what impact is this going to have on my recovery on the whole? What impact is this going to have on, you know, other aspects? I think being able to take a step back and focus on it that way, that is actually one of the biggest things in recovery that can make a difference. Because Mm -hmm. I think something I've only just kind of realizing now is every time I make that decision that makes it easier for my eating disorder, that's when that's when I'm kind of promoting it rather than actually helping myself in that recovery. Mm-hmm. I, I love connecting to the big picture and using that as a tool to, for motivation when you're making those big choices. Mm. And so if you can recognize that every one of those small decisions adds up and that's what brings you to your vision, right? That what that's what brings you to your recovery vision. So if you can step back and think to yourself, what's going to get me to my vision, it makes that choice very clear. Yeah. So I think that was a really helpful reminder. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think that in recovery, it's helpful to kind of have like a, a goal in terms of, you know, once I am in recovery, like that's, you know, this is what I'm aiming for. I think so. I know it can be really difficult for people in recovery to 
see their full recovery vision, especially when you start, cause it feels so far away, or maybe it feels impossible to you. You know, maybe you're not, you're a skeptic. You're like, I don't know if full recovery is going to be possible for me. So maybe that vision isn't so clear, but my hope is that you can envision a better life for yourself. And then once you're able to envision that full blown recovery life, like where, where do you really want to expand where, when you are fully out of your eating disorder, what do you want that to look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do think that that's so important to sit down and to kind of think individually for yourself you know what do you want full recovery to look like because I think especially you know perpetuated by social media we have this idea that full recovery means going out for a piece of cake every day and you know (laughs) being able to do these incredible things and you know bake cookies and blah 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 and yes that's potentially part of it but actually you know I think sitting down with yourself and thinking what is being restricted right now apart from the food you know other social occasions is there adventures I want to go on am I being held back at work am I not engaging with people the way that I want to be understanding those bits as well then allows you to kind of I think again look at the bigger picture and think this is all what's being affected right now and I really need to kind of work on this so that I can get myself into these things that I love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think what, like what you're saying is sometimes it helps to look at what you don't want to inform what you do want. Mm -hmm. So you might be saying, I, you know, I don't really know what I want my recovery to look like, but I know I don't want to be skipping these nice lunches with my friends. They go every week and I never go you know, you know, you don't want that. So maybe your recovery vision is the fact that you are going out to these lunch lunches with your friends every week joyfully. And that's where you can start. Um, so yeah, the, the vision is really important. And I think when you're creating your vision, it's important to just like determine or reflect on what your definite, your definition of recovery is going to be and what that looks like. Because I find when people get into these conversations about whether or not full recovery is possible, like you said, some people set these standards of, well, my definition of full recovery is I'm going to eat cake every day and I'm going to da 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 And that feels impossible to people. So that kind of discourages people. Like, I don't think I can ever get to that place. So make sure you define what recovery looks like for you. I, I function off of full recovery is possible. And like, that means you're not worrying about food anymore, obsessing. It's like food is neutral. You've reached body acceptance. You're not engaging in behaviors anymore. Like it's a less emotional experience in my opinion, but everyone's definition should be considered and it doesn't have to be the same as others. And, and do you think that that's possible? Um, do I think that what is possible? Like what you just explained about recovery. Do you think that that's possible? Oh, yes. That's what I experience because I'm, mm. I consider myself fully recovered. So, um, my day to day, and I do have health privilege because I don't have an eating disorder anymore. Right. So in my every day, I wake up and I respond to 
my hunger. I respond to my fullness. I'm eating intuitively. Um, so I feel, I feel like I, I'm living proof that recovery is possible. And there's so many people out there Mm -hmm. who feel the same way. Yeah, definitely. And I guess, I guess my, my question is kind of, you know, I think, I hope, and you know, there's, there is living proof out there that recovery is fully possible. I guess my question is, you know, does that mean that you never kind of have a day where you feel a bit uncomfortable around food or you never have a day where you don't quite feel right in your body? That's what I think. Is there, is there still an element sometimes of specific behaviors, but you know how to manage them or do they just go? <laughs> I personally love that you brought that up because that's a very real part of recovery. So the maintenance phase of recovery can be, I think, I think according to the Carolyn Costin workbook, it can last three to seven years. So maintenance is that place that you are sharing the place where you're a little bit more vigilant and protective of yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's the place where you might be noticing an old ED thought comes up, but instead of acting on that thought, you can like take care of yourself and not use behavior. Mm-hmm. That is the maintenance. That's what the maintenance phase of recovery looks like. And that can be several years. And then full recovery can be that you're free from those ED thoughts that you are accepting of your body. And honestly, there's always going to be a moment where you have like, you're going trying on an outfit at the mall and you're not happy with the way it looks on you, but you don't make it mean something about you. Mm. Like, you're not like, Oh my God, I wish I looked different. It's more like, okay, well, I guess I'll just get a different size or like this style really sucks anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you kind of like blame the clothes instead of making it something about you. So I definitely will have moments where I would say, I always bring this example up the thing that I, that's still like kind of will get stuck in my head once in a blue moon is the liquid calorie, um, the soda thing. Like I remember there was, I think I had a regular Coca-Cola in my fridge for some reason. This was probably like almost a year ago, but I remember having kind of a thought like, oh, you shouldn't have that because of all the liquid calories and that's just useless. And I noticed it. Mm. And I was just like, "Eh, now I definitely have to have this soda. And so I just drank the Coca-Cola and you kind of have to give your eating disorder the finger, right? (laughs) So I don't know that it, it will pop up, but I'm, you know, not very often. Yeah. I I'm not saying this to, to like, to like brag. I'm saying this because I just want people to know that that's a reality for me, you know, and that means it's possible for you too. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just, I think it's almost, it's so important to to discuss and to reflect on different people's experiences, because I think sometimes there can be an expectation that recovery means never having a negative thought about food again, never having a negative thought about your body again. And, you know, if we look at 
the general populace I I don't think anybody could actually say that they've never had a day where they didn't feel overly comfortable in their body and there was something they wanted to change but I think like you've said there it's it's having that thought process and not letting it define you I think that's kind of the difference Mm. and you know it's probably not as regular I think in in an eating disorder it's quite constant but maybe in in recovery it's it's less constant but I think you've summed it up so nicely there and it not being the thing that defines you and actually you know oh this dress looks awful on me well it it's not my problem it's the way that the dress is made (laughs) which is probably most of the time the actual answer um so I think I just think that that's really important to show that you know yes it is completely possible to fully recover um but you know things are still going to come up but it's your way Mm -hmm. of kind of managing them that kind of I think reflects what stage you're at exactly you want to have your own back you don't Mm. want to beat yourself up for things and that's a huge shift Mm. in recovery like you said that outfit I want to share this example that um was really it's like a story when I was going through recovery Mm -hmm. so a few I don't know gosh I was like 19 I'm 31 now. So this was a while ago, <laughs> but, um, I had my, I was the height of my eating disorder. I was working, um, as a model in New York city, like wow. fashion week. So that was like during the late two thousands when, you know, on TikTok, they're always talking about the two thousands made millennials, like want to diet nonstop because the, the, the look was super thin. Mm-hmm. Like that was my life. I was living in fashion. Uh, it was like fashion world. And I was at a photo shoot and they had me try on these, um, I guess they were like designer pants. Right. And I was so shamed. And so I felt so shamed by myself and so upset and so wrong that these pants didn't fit me because I was the model and they're supposed to fit me. And that's my job. And I'm not valuable now that these don't fit. Like I'm making it about me. Mm. And I remember in my disordered brain turning to the stylist and saying, wow, I wish I was just, you know, I wish I could lose more weight or I wish I could be a smaller size. Like I just kind of shit on myself in front of the stylist. And the stylist looked at me and she was like, girl, it's the pants fault. It's not your fault. Like she was just like looking at me, like what's wrong with you? She's like, seriously, you should not be getting mad at yourself. You should be getting mad at these pants. Mm. And it felt like she was this little, uh, life raft that I could (laughs) like hold on to in that moment. I was like, Oh my God, she's so right. Like, why am I beating myself up when it's really not my problem? It's the pants that don't fit the pants suck not me (laughs) yeah exactly well it's always like um I think it's quite kind of an overused analogy now but um I think it still rings true in that if you didn't fit in a pair of shoes you wouldn't get angry at your feet you'd just be like I'll go get another pair of shoes then so why on earth we get so frustrated um well you know we know exactly why we get frustrated but it should be the sort of same kind of thing um so 
I recognize that we're coming close to the hour. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, I've got a couple of questions from the listeners, if that's okay. Yes. Um, so the first question that we had, I just put out to the listeners, um, what questions do you have about recovery? Um, and they said, how, how do I not go backwards when forward seems so hard and so wrong? Mm. Well, I like to think that you have another option. So this question presumes that we have backwards or forwards, but I also want to remind you that you can take a break. You can stay put. You don't have to rush to the next stage of recovery. You can sit there, chillax, (laughs) do what you're, you know, you can do stabilize and strengthen in that. And when you are ready, you can start moving forward. It does not have to look like back or forward all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think the statement recovery isn't linear is probably quite a good thing to say. And I think even if, you know, often, like you said, you can just pause for a second um and we did a I did a podcast with a lady called Carolina a few weeks ago and that was talking about recovery and she was saying using the analogy of like a mountain and you know sometimes you do need to take a rest on the mountain you know you can't continuously keep going up um and you can have a look at the scenery and that's fine but then you kind of pick yourself up and you carry on going until you reach the top Mm -hmm. um I think sometimes as well like you might feel like you do go backwards but backwards doesn't necessarily mean that you're back at the start exactly I want you to always remember how far you've come Mm. and it's okay if you take a few steps back you just have to utilize the compassion that you're learning to have for yourself so you say okay so I slipped back a little but I can learn from this Mm. and I have even more tools and skills to pull myself forward again and then trusting that. So it's, it's not about, oh, I've done one thing wrong. I'm just going to totally go back to the start. You utilize the knowledge and wisdom that you have to, to move forward again and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And I think that's the thing, like you said, the knowledge and the wisdom, sometimes you might go take a step back, but you might learn something. So actually to not see, you know, every step back as a negative, to see it as a learning curve, I think is also really important. Yeah, um, I think, I think um, people tend to think black and white. Mm-hmm. And just recognizing that a failure doesn't mean, like, first of all, they're like, I'm either a failure or I'm perfect, right? And there's nothing in between. But remember, you can just, I always say you can produce B minus work, C, C work, and it's better than, you know, and, and that's not enough. Remember, mm-hmm. like there is a middle zone. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just going to ask you really quickly, cause I know you need to run. Somebody's just asked, and I think this is a very broad question, um, but maybe just some insights from yourself on what are the signs of full recovery? Ooh, okay. It's good to wrap it up with that. I think like what we kind of discussed before, um, there is a level of, I would say body acceptance or even 
yeah, body acceptance would be the right word, maybe even body tolerance, which is a little less powerful or empowered, but body acceptance or body tolerance. Then there is um, the piece with food, which is you feel relaxed around food. You feel more neutral. You're not using behaviors anymore. Um, and the mental obsession is no longer there. So that emotional roller coaster around food isn't there. So there is a level of freedom around food when you are recovered um, and you're not connecting what you're eating with your appearance anymore. That's also a really big one. I think you can move through life, letting that be independent, like recognizing what I'm eating is more for my nourishment and fuel. And I'm going to trust that my body will take care of it. Mm-hmm. So those are a bunch of, a bunch of signs <laughs> of full recovery. I'm sure there are so many more yeah. happiness more Happy, more yes. joy, more joy, more happiness is also a sign that you've reached that place. Absolutely. Well, Meg, thank you so much. Um, I think this episode is going to be very motivating and inspiring. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much, Hannah. Seriously, it's such an honor to be on your show. It was a delight and you are a fabulous interviewer. I thought it was just such a great conversation to have. So thank you again. And just before you go, if people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? Great. So my website is meg-mccabe.com. I also have um, the Recovery Collective, which is, I think I'll send you that link so you can put it in your bio because it's kind of a long URL. <laughs> and then I also have the Recovery Collective on Instagram and Meg McCabe on Instagram. So that's Meg underscore McCabe on Instagram. And finally, I do have a podcast, which Hannah is invited to join me on at any time. Um, and that is full and thriving. And if you guys want to hear more about my work, that's probably the place I am the most open on. So check that out too. Well, we will definitely, definitely check that out. And we will definitely do a reverse podcast very soon. (laughs) (laughs) Fabulous. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. I appreciate you. And I can't wait to hear this episode. Okay. Thanks, Meg. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support, or talk to someone you trust.